In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew. Hey, friends. Welcome to In the Lab as John Harris adjusts and gets set. It's good to be with you, dude. You all right? I'm, I'm good. I'm just pointing out all my blemishes so that people on YouTube can see it because I know people out there think I'm perfect, that you're perfect, but we're not. We have, we have blemishes. Now, you don't. I do. You're perfect. Huh? Anyways, yeah. Exactly. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. Okay. Final week of work before yep. the break, before training camp. It's mini camp this week. Everybody's there. Laramie Tunsil was there. That was kind of uh, something that some folks were talking about. Good to see him yeah. out there. Had the offensive line working. And, uh, you know, it's kind of standard what we saw last week and the week before. But I am encouraged by sort of the trajectory of what we're seeing from this team. And I'm really excited about the youth on this team. Not necessarily the rookies. I am excited about them. But the second-year youth yeah. and what's going on. Second-year youth, if you want to call it that, on the coaching staff. Lovey Smith is now the head coach. Yep. Pep Hamilton's the OC, and I can't stop being enthused and excited about what Pep Hamilton is going to do. And um, I got a chance to catch up with Brevin Jordan, who I think is going to be he and his position group going to be the kind of the focus of what we're going to discuss yep. a bit today. But Brevin Jordan, he's got personality and then some. But he's also got an interesting skill set that I think the Texans are looking to utilize in tandem with Pharaoh Brown, in tandem with some of the other guys, Antonio Claire and uh, Tegan Quatoriano, whenever he gets gets out there. But the, the tight ends are going to be important. Brevin Jordan going to be an interesting aspect of all that, isn't he? Absolutely. And I think there are a couple things to think about with Brevin as far as I look at it. Number one, the athleticism has always been there. I don't yep. think there's any question. Going Dating back to his days at Gorman. And I remember seeing him at Gorman going, whoa, that dude, that's a dude. And Gorman's a high school in Las Vegas. That's right. And it's one of the best high school football facilities you're going to find, football factories, I should say, that you're going to find. So he went to the University of Miami, had an idea about him, and then watched him earlier. Like, man, this guy's really, really good. I think he needed the first half of his NFL career to kind of step back and take a look and go, okay, this is what it takes to be a pro. Right. He's playing a really difficult position at tight end. I mean, you got to you're blocking, uh, you're blocking some big dudes, some grown men. You got to block them. Then you got to worry about your route combinations, all that kind of stuff. So this is a lot going on. So when he got on the field, when he finally got comfortable and got his confidence, he caught 20 passes over the last eight nine games. I don't know if he was fully healthy uh, at some point. I think his hand or something had been hurt. So. He didn't play all those nine games or get a ton of snaps, but he showed what he could do. I think the Chargers game was a great example. I watched that game the other day, and you just saw when he got the ball, he knew what to do. He got upfield, and it was a, it was a different looking guy. Mm-hmm. So he was he was fun to watch. Watching him at OTAs, I think you see a lot of the same things. You see in that athleticism, but you just seem more comfortable. And here's the other one is. Davis Mills isn't always going to find that receiver down the field, running the dig, running the, the sale route. There's always going to be an outlet. Brevin might be that outlet a lot of the times. Uh, a lot of the time. And he might be that guy down on the goal line that he goes to, that finds that little nook and cranny, and Davis can fire it in there. And for a second-year quarterback, I think the, the best thing to have is kind of his, his whoopee, you know, his reliable blanket, if you will. Uh-huh. Uh, and that can be your running backs. That can be your pass-catching tight ends. And Brevin fits into that category. And – you think about it just, you know, doing some simple math here. He catches three to four passes a game. Let's say one of those is a one of those is a check down, one of those happens to be a, a scheduled route. 
maybe catches another check down. He's going to catch more. Right. But three to four game or three or four game over 17 games is anywhere between 51 to 68. Would you take that for a second year tight end? Absolutely. I sure would, would. Because he's going to take a few of those. And this is the thing that stood out to me against the Chargers. Once he got the football in his hands, it wasn't just, okay, I caught the football. Yay. It was, I got the football. Now let's let the fun start. He'll make some moves and he can and get, get some extra, field, extra, extra yardage. Yes. Which, when Pharaoh Brown gets ahead of steam, yes. he punishes people. He takes yep. six, seven, eight, nine guys with him sometimes when he's been able to do that. It's going to be, they need that. They, the Texans need that from this Absolutely. offense to free things up for the run game and for the other guys catching the ball. And what's key to that, it may sound weird, to Pharaoh Brown catching more passes is the offensive line. Because. Farrell Brown was used a lot of times as a sixth offensive lineman yeah, last year yeah. because the offensive line was missing Laramie Tunsil, was missing Marcus Cannon. And although Charlie Heck did a decent job over right tackle, uh, I thought last year there was there were you know, holes in the dam, if you will. And Farrell was used a lot of times to try and close the holes as opposed to these five guys can handle it. Yeah. Let Farrell get out on routes and catch the football and be athletic and do those things. We saw that in week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, the one-handed catch down the middle was incredible. Tight ends are asked to do so much. He was asked to do a lot of pass blocking last year such that Tyrod and Davis could get the ball off. Mm -hmm. Just get the ball off. But if those five guys are handling business up front this year and that allows Farrow to check, hey, no leakage, I can get out and route, he can end up being that outlet guy too. And so now you've got a couple of reliable athletic dudes with the ball in their hands after the catch. And that gets that gets kind of exciting, and they can end up both being uh, red zone uh, weapons, third down weapons, and they can be problems for linebackers or safeties having to cover them in the pass game. And something we've heard about Pep Hamilton and his offense is he looks at what the strengths of all his players are and tries to accentuate those right. and feed those strengths. So perhaps some of that comes into play yeah. with what, Hamilton has designing this offense and the plays and stuff that, that he draws up. Well, I think from from Brevin's standpoint, there's there's a lot you can do. If you go back and watch the film from last year, but you can see it in OTAs, you see Brevin. And Brevin told us draft that he said, I want to be a three-down tight end. Well, to be a three-down tight end in this league, you're not going to be able to line up next to Emory Tunsil on one side or Titus Howard the whole time. You're going to be next to one-on-one -on -one play. Yep. You're going to be maybe at fullback the next play. Split you might be a wide, wide receiver. Yeah, yeah. so slot. You're, yeah. You're, you have to do all those different things, and Brevin's got the athletic ability to be able to do all of that and line up in a lot of spots. And because you can do that, there's going to be a time where, hey, I'm matched up. You know, guys are out there kind of, you know, it's basketball. Hey, I got him. I got him. I got him. You know, I got Cooks. I got Collins. Hey, oh, here's um, here's Mechie when he's healthy. Here's Philip Dorsett. And all of a sudden, number nine's going – Y'all going to leave that linebacker on me? <laughs> I'm going to take him. I'm going to take his lunch money. I'm going to do it often until you guys get wise enough to the fact that you don't want to leave a linebacker on Brevin Jordan. So from that standpoint, I think it's pretty exciting what, what he can do in the past game, what Farrow can do in the past game. I, and then we really haven't had a chance to see Tegan uh, Quatoriano yet. Right. And I don't know that Tegan is watching him as a young dude or you know as a guy at Oregon State in the past game. I was like, okay, he's got some things to clean up on. I played a lot of basketball growing up, so you can see he's got some of that. Um, he's got that agility. Yeah. He's athletic, dude. He's got dude. some footwork. He's going to pound people at the line of scrimmage, hopefully. That's, hopefully mm -hmm. that's going to be his job. And all these tight ends end up playing a particular role. Anthony O'Claire as well. Jordan can be that X factor. And as they were going through practice on Tuesday, as I'm watching, I'm thinking, and Brevin caught maybe 
two or three passes where he was not the primary guy. He was maybe third read. He was kind of out swinging out wide. He was on a flat route. You know, he's maybe gone to the flat, and then things broke down a little bit, so he had to work himself open or find an open zone. Davis found him as the third or fourth read. Doesn't matter. It's still a reception, right? It's still positive yardage. Doesn't matter whether you're the key receiver or you're the third receiver or whatever it is. Just as long as you catch the football and do something with it after the catch, and hopefully that's what uh, these guys can all end up doing, having their particular role in this offense. Um, I'm drawing a blank here. Like I'm looking at you, and I see the long sleeve on. Did you wear that to practice today? Yeah, I did. I always do. He's different than me. I'm wearing a white. Yeah, you are. Dry fit. I vaguely wear, or rarely wear, wear white. Right. I mean, I'd, because TV. That's a TV thing, right? And you know, I'm pasty. Like my yeah. skin is translucent almost. <laughs> so like white on translucence <laughs> is not. The yeah. best look, but it's so hot. I knew it was going to be so yeah. hot that I had to wear white and something breathable because we were out of practice. Right. And I was just wondering how you beat the heat. Because, I mean, I wore this, and you're wearing that. So I've always worn long sleeves. Why? So I'm glad after nine years you've now uh, understood I know that. that, but, like, why are you wearing dark long sleeves today? Oh, I just – it was clean. That's it. Listen, I mean, I do all the laundry at my house anyways. Okay. But my wife and daughter are out in L.A., and so it's me and Jack, and so it can become Bachelor Pad watching Sopranos at night instead of doing right. laundry like I want to. And I love th- I love this uh, long sleeve, dry fit. I love it. I've always worn long sleeves. Ever since I stopped playing football from coaching, you know, being media, being on sidelines, whatever, I've always worn long sleeves. Okay. Right. If you catch me in, in short sleeves, it's because the laundry has gotten really bad. Just piqued my interest. Are you guys actually watching The Sopranos right now? We are. Where are you? We – so not this past Saturday or Saturday before, we – Jack was looking for something to watch, uh-huh. wanting to watch my Jack, and he – I said, what about The Sopranos? And he goes, all right, let's do it, because he liked Goodfellas. He's yeah. like, let's do it. So we turned it on. I snapped the picture, and I sent it to the ultimate Sopranos fan, Sean Pendergast. Sean Pendergast, yeah. And he was like, I've got tears. So season one, episode one, the pilot? We got all the way through the first season. How long did that take you guys? You got, you, I can't do we buzzed. We buzzed through. We, well, the interesting part was we watched. I, can't, I think if you watch more than three in a row, that's pushing it, man. I mean, it's, That's some dark stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too much. You know what I mean? You oh, yeah. break we that haven't up. watched any more than three in a row. But Good. what okay, happened okay, was okay. we watched one, then we watched, the next time we watched two and three. And we were bordering, and I could see it. He's bordering on, I don't know. Then we watched episodes four and five when Meadow goes on our college trip. Uh-huh. And that just reeled him back in. And then all of a sudden it started getting each episode after that started getting better and better and better. And all of a sudden we got to a point where we're like, dude, we got two episodes. I am going back and watching it again. So I'm like, we got two episodes, not just you. It was like, we got two episodes to watch. So we finished up watching season one, and we'll start on season two whenever we get a break this weekend or something. Now, I know uh, you only listen to this podcast, and even though you're you're on it, you listen to it. You don't listen to any other podcast. But if you were to ever take a stab at listening to an other podcast, I would – outside of HoustonTexans.com, I would recommend The Talking Sopranos. Oh, yeah. It's Christopher Moltisanti, Michael Imperioli, yes. the actor. Michael Imperioli. And a guy who doesn't come along until a few seasons later, but um, Steve Sharippa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is um, Bobby Bacala. Bobby Bacala, yeah, but They right. basically go through episode by episode. Each podcast is an episode. They recount what happened. It's fascinating. That's it's awesome. Fascinating. So I'll, I'll tell this story. Uh, hashtag story time on In the Lab. So back in 2007, which we, is the year that it ended, the year that it ended, that fall I started radio at a local station here with our buddy Sean Pendergast. Yep. 
So the first week of the show, we were trying to think all these different. We were the fourth radio, fourth sports show, sports radio uh, station in the city. We got to think of something. We got to be unique. We got to. So we were trying. We were just brainstorming all these different ideas. And so our good friend David Nuno uh-huh. was like, "Hey man, I'm I'm trying to schedule some interviews for you guys." And we were just kind of bounce all these different ideas. And Sean and I are, ch- are children of the '80s and like you know '80s movie stars. So we actually ended up getting an interview with Corey Haim that that Nuno booked. And then he booked us Willie Ames from Eight Is Enough. <laughs> and so we're like, "This is awesome." Right. Well, then about 45 minutes later, and it was me, Sean, and wasn't quite Lance Zerlon at that time. Lance was coming over, um, but we had to do the legal thing. So, anyways, it was the two of us, and Nuno came back in about 45 minutes. Like, oh, man, I'm so sorry, dude. guys. I messed up. But that's not Willie Ames from 80s Enough. And he goes, uh, I got to cancel the interview. And I was like, wait. Leave it. And well, I said, I looked at Sean. I said, we need to ask him questions like he's Willie Ames from 80s Enough and just <laughs> see how long we can go with this guy. And Drew, I'm telling you, it's it was the fourth. Does it exist? Like, does it, you oh, still yeah. have this? I wanna, yeah, Tyler I Miller, who produces uh, Clinton's show in the afternoon, just listened to it. In fact, that's what brought it up the other day. Is it somewhere on YouTube or what? I don't know. I don't know. I have to get I it. I need this, please. It's hilarious. And yeah. he was like the perfect foil. But we kind of – like, it's our fourth day in radio. Right. <laughs> so we would ask him questions. He's like, I think you got Gutsy. the wrong Willie Ames. And then we're like – but you're into music, right? Because, you know, the real Willie Ames was into music. He's like, yeah, 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 Willie Ames, my band. And then it was like we'd go right back to the 80s. Like we'd <laughs> let him go, and then we'd pull him back in. So anyways, I'm going somewhere with Sopranos with us. So we do this interview, and it's hilarious. At one point, we didn't know how long he was going to go. He ended up staying with us for like five minutes or, right. or maybe more. So we're dying laughing. We, just, we think it's funny. We know not a lot of people are listening because our signal is terrible. Yeah. And so our producer comes over our headphones and said, Hey, there's a guy named Joe Ganiscoli on the phone. Vito Spatafore. And I look over and I see Sean and his eyes light up. Now I had not watched the Sopranos at this point. Yeah. And Sean looks at me and goes, said that. He goes, That's Vito. I said, What are you talking about? He goes, That's Vito's from the Sopranos. I said, That's not I, I said, Sean, come on. Huh. That's not Joe Ganiscoli. He goes, he pushed the button, he says, Kyle, is he goes, this guy swears that he's Joe Ganiscoli. Like it's and, and, and that's goes, a random it sounds thing to, like, to, to claim. Yeah. Know? So, like, okay, keep him there. We just messed with Willie Ames. If this is a fake Joe Ganiscoli, we'll You'll mess around it. with him too. It's the real Joe Ganiscoli. Joe's a big Giants fan, New York Giants. So Joe had been in Houston for a cigar convention, uh-huh. and he was coming down. He was one of the featured. Um, guests or whatever of, of the event and he just happened to turn it on and he heard our interview uh with willie ames he thought it was hilarious and he just was calling in to tell us to tell us that to tell us that that interview was just incredible and so we struck up this conversation with joe ganiscoli we started talking about the sopranos awesome. like fourth day of radio so we're watching the first season and he makes a cameo yeah he's a different in character. the pastry yeah, yeah in yeah. the pastry shop uh-huh, uh-huh. and so I point. I pause it like that's Joe, uh-huh. and Jack looks at me like what? That's Joe Ganiscolian, and I told him the same story <laughs> I told you, and Jack just thought it was hilarious. I said he comes back later. Oh yeah, like he comes back as a different character yeah, big, later. Big way. But he called our he just called our show randomly, and Sean was I had seen The Sopranos once I saw The Sopranos. You know, you, you realize why that was such a yeah, big deal. and I knew it was a big deal. Some dude that was on The Sopranos is listening to our show. We're like I said, four days into radio. <laughs> And he's calling in to tell us what a great interview we did, this faux interview with the fake Willie Ames. And so anybody that 
we'll see us out and about if Sean and I are together. Like, dude, I love that Willie Ames interview and the Joe Gattascoli. I need to, so, he- I need to hear funny. this, please. Like, cause this was- it, was, it was really good. It was, it was hilarious. We just started asking him all the things about, you know, at one point I asked him, so who was the hottest Bradford sister? Was it Susan? <laughs> and he's just like, guys, you got the wrong Willie Ames. This is Willie Ames that plays in some plays a banjo and, a, and my my. And then he started giving out his. My, if I remember right, he gave out his MySpace page. That's point. how old it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was two thousand seven. So yeah, people were I guess that were giving out the MySpace page. I got to see if I can get that. Sean, I think has it. Um, I thought I used to have it on an old computer, but it was hilarious. It was just the things that come up in radio that you, like what. I love it. This guy's call like it was it was odd. We you know, when it's you're that early in your radio career, I mean, you don't really have expectations. You were willing to try it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, might as well. The the, the day we went live, we heard that the antenna blew up. So we're like, there might be ten people listening. Right. So what the hell? Let's push the boundaries. We knew we could talk sports anytime, but let's spice it up with with Willie Ames. And I think it was the next day we had Corey Haim. It's pretty good. And he was lit. I mean, literally lit. Literally. Like he was lit. Like he, Sean asked him a question, and he goes, "I, I got to tell you, that's a great question." <laughs> and then he didn't even come close to answering whatever Sean asked him. Oh but it was, uh, it was, it was the fake Willie Ames and Corey Haim, like in back-to-back days. I was like, I don't know how he topped to Sean. I don't, I don't know that we ever did at that point, uh, other than Shade's birthday. But it was. It was pretty nuts, but yeah, that that's how the Soprano and Willie Ames thing came together. I'll see if I get that interview. I like it. Okay, listen, we've got to wrap this up, but we're going to do a little teaser for next week's Ooh. show. About a month ago, I texted you because uh-huh. this just popped up randomly. I yeah. saw this, and I said, "I know QB wins can be a jacked up stat. Yes, but it can be." Jim McMahon, the former Bears quarterback, was oh, yeah. twenty-two and one. In the three years, 1985, 86, and 87. So the Bears right. went 22 and 1 when he started right. in that three year span. In just 85 and 86, right. 17 and 0. Yep. Did not lose a game right. when he started. Between 84 and 88, they were 36 and 5. So, with that in mind, which Texan historically, if you could get back a three year span, Get that Texan at full health. What would the three-year span be, and who would the Texan be? So think about that. You think about that. We want to hear from you. Let us know at Doherty Drew on Twitter, at Jay Harris Football on Twitter, and we'll all discuss next week on Tuesday on In the Lab. Cool with you? Cool with me. Do it.